All right, everyone. We're gonna we're gonna get going here. Uh, I'm gonna pray for us in just a moment. But I think everyone got a very small communion packet as you came in. Let's just have our collective chuckle about this together now, and um, and we're, we're gonna we're gonna receive communion in a little bit together as part of uh, this this evening. It feels appropriate so often at the beginning of a service like this to just take a little inventory of your own heart and your body and your energy level and your concentration and just say, where where am I? And who's around me? And where is God? And uh, That's a big part of what we're hoping for for tonight is just to not discuss a few tidbits about the Bible or God or even our church, but to experience uh, presence of God and the presence of one another and, and to realize what a gift that is, the presence of one another, the presence of God. So to begin, we're just going to sort of acknowledge those things uh, where we really are and we're going to do that in the presence of God. And so I just want to invite you wherever you're starting and no judgment on that whatsoever, even in your own inner monologue wherever you're starting, just to direct your heart, your attention, your mind to God, and to invite the Holy Spirit to lead this evening and this entire weekend. So, Heavenly Father, we ask for a revelation of your presence this evening, whether that needs to be loud and thrilling or uh, quiet and simple. God, you are our Father. You are a good shepherd. You know exactly what we need. And so, uh, taking your invitation, we bring our real hearts, our real lives, our real moment in time before you. And we just ask that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would allow us to enjoy your presence and the presence of one another. So, love you, God. Ask for your help in praying and singing now and directing our hearts to you. See our feeble stumbling towards you and run out to meet us as you so often do. Give us your embrace this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. It's funny, you sing a line uh, when you're a kid and then you sing it when you're an adult and they mean means, you know, the same thing, but the emphasis feels different. Like, I remember singing as a kid, Lord, you know where I've been, and been like, you do, you know, oh man. Uh, and now it feels like a comfort, like, oh, you know where I'm at, God, thanks for that. Um, but what a thing to have a God who knows where we are, who knows where we've been, that, you know, wherever you're coming from, wherever we are as a church, God's not unaware of that. That's a powerful gift just to, to not rush past, to be aware of. This is a, a significant moment. Our church started its first public worship in this room, you know, just, just under 12 years ago. This, this September will be 12 years we started uh, our first service in here. It, it looked, you know, like uh, those early early uh, summer nights uh, or fall nights of, of our church beginning looked a lot like this. And uh, that's why I remember to wear a jacket because the AC in here stuck in my head. Some of you guys are like dressed for summertime, but in here it's like fall. So um, we'll, we'll move around throughout the evening, hopefully, and, uh, and warm up. But 
our, our hopes and prayers for, for this weekend have been that we could just have a time to, you know, ease back into life together, to, to reconnect um, as a church family, to reconnect our hearts and our lives, to, to look forward uh, together into the next, uh, to the next season. Uh, out of the 12 years of our church's existence, um, most of the years, last couple have been a little bit different, as all of you know, but most years we've had something, whether it was a retreat or a state treat, right around this time as summer was ending and fall was beginning, to join our hearts together um, as we're coming out of one season and into another. And that, that's an important part of the human experience. We know this intuitively, we know this from experience, that that symbols and and celebration and and the rhythms of our year, the rhythms of our of our seasons, they're important to us as human beings. And sometimes it's even hard to articulate, you know, why they're important, but we just know that they are. And and so, you know, we all have different levels of like how organized or, or rhythmic our lives are, you know, but uh, your, your morning routine more than likely has some crucial ways that it gets you ready for the day, even if you're over here on the like freewheeling end of the spectrum. Many of you have something at the, on Sunday nights as you're preparing for your work week that, that begins to get you ready for what that's going to entail. We know that these symbols are only a, a small piece of what the ultimate reality they point to, you know, you know reflects. Uh, I was thinking of a couple of examples. We just have done this. We have a bunch of summer birthdays in our, in our, in our house, and, and putting candles on a cake and blowing them out is n- by no means a full picture of, of the fullness of living another year as a human being on the earth, but it is a symbol. It is a celebration. It's a way to mark the moment, and, and I, you know, I was thinking about for 17 years, I've, I've celebrated New Year's Eve in a similar fashion with a group of people, uh, and, and counting down those last seconds before the new year changes it doesn't mean that I'm going to live the rest of the year with that level of granular intentionality about, about, my, about my moments, but it's a way to mark the transition, and those markers are important. Even in our big holidays in the Christian year, Christmas and Easter, which have looked different in the last couple of years, they're meaningful because they point beyond themselves. So I've been praying about what this, this evening here and, and you know, tomorrow and, and, and Sunday, what this weekend could hold for us. And I have to admit, uh, for a while, for quite a while, I felt stumped. Um, how do we process all that's been happening since COVID began? What about all the extra stress we have been carrying? What about just the reality that we haven't been together, you know, uh, very much at all? A few times, you know, outside, people have different comfort levels with it. In fact, it seems like, you know, I don't know how exactly your sphere of relationships is, but it seems like in mine, there are different approaches to almost everything right now. And there's such a, a, a you know, like really tense divisions in, our, even in our friends and loved ones, our coworkers, there's just... Gosh, it feels like the lines in the walls have gotten dug in. Some of you may have, you know, agonizingly missed church and, and missed being together. Some people have said, you know what, I'm good. I found out I was all right without it and, and, and have moved on. And, and how do we reflect on that? What, what do, where do we grieve? Where do we celebrate? And what could a weekend together, what could we do, you know, what could we say 
to make sense of these things, to, be, to begin reconnecting, to begin moving on to what's next? Is there some symbol? Is there some ritual? Is there some words? Is there, is there, is there something we could do? I was sitting outside of Prospect Park just on, on one of the benches, you know, you, one of the precious ones that has shade. You walk until you find one. Um, and, uh, and I was praying for vision for our church and vision for this State Street weekend, which is something leaders are supposed to have, vision. And I didn't feel very much of anything. I certainly didn't feel like I was swimming in, in vision. I don't know... Um, I've reflected with lots of friends, lots of family members, lots of other pastors about, gosh, it's so difficult to envision something that feels like, you know, I need to just, I haven't seen these people. I'd like to see them. And then maybe we can envision something together. So I don't want to come, you know, here pretending to have more than I do, but started thinking about that. What's the expectation of vision? What's my expectation of it? Never mind what, you know, other people might be thinking Vision means, right, God, that I could at least see what's really here, that I would have a, perce- a perception and awareness of what's actually going on. That would, that would at least be a beginning of vision. Vision, I think, also would mean that I would know somewhat how to navigate things, that you would know somewhat how to navigate things, that we as a community would have some instincts, some some discernment about how to navigate things. I think we often, when we say vision, Uh, In a leadership context, we mean the ability to see what's coming. (laughs) And so vision is seeing what's around you, but also seeing what's not here yet. And that's really, honestly, that's challenging. So I I prayed something. You know, you have these moments where you just vent your soul to God and, and you're just speaking honestly. And I said, God, I don't know much about any vision right now. What do you want me to tell your church? Do you have some vision for us? And I sat and waited on this park bench. And what I got back uh, was really simple. I sensed in my spirit that God was directing me to look again at how his people celebrate Passover. And I was thinking, it's the end of the summer. That's like an Easter spring thing. That's a celebration out of season. But... I had prayed and asked, and that was what I sensed, and maybe I was wrong, but I was like, okay, I felt like that's a little bit of an answer to my prayer, and it's an assignment. So later that day, I got home, and I I began trying to follow through on what I sensed God had said to me, and at first, there was nothing really new, nothing that sort of fell out as a nice state tree outline for me, um, or, or, you know, helped me make sense exactly of where we are as a church, but then I began to make a couple of discoveries. And those, those first discoveries led me down a path where I actually felt like I stumbled upon a, a sea of discoveries about Passover. And uh, since that day on the bench, I've only been sort of able to dip my feet in the sea of discoveries about Passover, but I'm really, really, truly looking forward to moving on with them. And, and, and I think God has something, and I want you to hear this, I think God has something for us in the invitation to look at Passover on this particular weekend and this particular transition moment of our church's life as we go from one season to another. So in a sense, it is, it's a celebration out of season, if we want to call it that. Passover is a spring festival. It leads us up to Easter. And I just got to thinking, you know what? I was sitting on my couch. I remember the exact moment in March uh, in 2020 when 
things began to be, get canceled. I think I was watching a basketball game, and all of a sudden, the players were taken off the court. And I remember, right, we're, it's spring, and we're leading up to Easter. And, and then all of a sudden, the whole world was in, was in this new space, and all this tension, and all the reality of COVID. And I began to think, maybe we've actually missed out on quite a lot since spring, when, when COVID first hit. And, and maybe God can use this celebration out of season for us to do some remembering, to do some healing. God, maybe, I, I think this weekend wants to do some very personal inviting to our hearts, and then maybe even some envisioning. But I think it would be uh, out of time uh, to, to start talking enthusiastically about a bunch of envisioning before we did some moving through uh, remembering and healing and hearing the personal uh, in- inviting voice of our Heavenly Father, the Good Shepherd, and, and then maybe we can together do some envisioning. So we're not going to do a Seder this evening, uh, as beautiful as that, as that might be, uh, to, to take the full Passover meals our Jewish neighbors uh, would do in the spring. That would be beautiful. I think we probably will do something like that uh, in, in the spring. But instead, this evening, I just want to take the four uh, names of this festival, the Passover festival, um, this, this remembrance ceremony. I want to take the four names as a roadmap for our time together this evening. We're going to take them as kind of four short movements. And uh, these names are ways for us to enter the story, a story that many of you are going to be really familiar with, but some you might notice some new details this evening as we, as we think about it and reflect on it. Uh, but, but as we enter this story, a couple of things. I want you to know we're not alone. Uh, and we're not the first to be in a situation where we need God's rescue where we need God's healing and we need God's direction. And so I'm not saying at all that, you know, the last, you know, two years of, of COVID or our, our experience right now is exactly, you know, lays over Israel's experience of, of, of coming out of slavery in Egypt. I'm not saying those experiences are exactly the same, but I do think it's important that God clearly insisted that they enact this celebration every single year. That means he knew that their circumstantial situations were going to be changing, and yet this ceremony, this festival, was going to speak to those, those times over and over and over again. As, fact, as followers of Jesus, I think this is super important for us to see this narrative is woven through both of the Testaments. This is the, the climactic story of the Old and New Testament. In Exodus, God rescues his people, Then he gives them a communal celebration, and at the center of that communal celebration is a meal. And then, no surprise, in the Gospels, God rescues his people, brings salvation, and then gives them a communal celebration that right in the middle of it involves a meal. So, God knows that going back through these moments, these redemptive acts would be crucial for us. So, when it's began on a, a sort of, a, um, our worship nights have been a bit like this. It's, it's like an experiential journey. Um, this is going to be, in some sense, um, whatever, uh, you know, you, you, you make it, whatever we make it together, we're going to ask God to lead and direct us. But from this point forward, after this little setup that I'm doing that does feel like a sermon, there's not going to be a, a sermon. It's going to be just an invitation for you to experience the four movements of this, of, of this Passover festival. Uh, the titles of this Passover festival. So I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to butcher the Hebrew pronunciations of these words, but that's okay. So the first is the one we know. These are the four movements. Here we go. Are you ready for this? You guys good? You're tracking with me? All right, fantastic. Um, The first is Pesach, 
which is the word Passover, passing over. So this is, we get this literally from the, the blood of the lamb spread on the doorpost. And so the, the children of Israel were spared as the angel of death passed over and, and they were spared. So the blood of the lamb, this is um, about the covenant mercy of God, preserving his people, bringing them salvation, bringing them rescue, Pesach. The second is harder to say, Shag Acha Hamatzav, which is a festival of unleavened bread, another name for Passover. This is a movement that's about purity from the world. We're going to say a little bit more about this, but what might you have picked up in the rhythms of your everyday life in the last 18 months that have been really difficult that you know this, this, this was okay for a time, but I know this is something that I need to leave behind. This is some leaven in my bread. So if the first moment is about remembering the covenant faithfulness, the blood of the land, the second movement is about, is about purity. It's about, God, where are you, what are you calling me to release and surrender to you? The third is Zaman Sheratinu, which is the time of liberation. Um, where do we need God's help being, you know, being free? We celebrate that God is the one who makes us free, but where do we need to ask God to bring freedom in our lives? And the last one is Shah Ha Aviv, which is the festival of spring. What are the new things that God is blooming in our life? Where do you see little buds of new life in our church, in your friendships, in your family, in your, in your own heart? So those four movements, remembering that God has covered us, mercy and communion, asking God to keep us pure from the world, specifically in the detailed rhythms of our everyday life. Third, that God sets us free. Woo! Where do we need to be free? God sets us free. Where do we need to be free? And what is being birthed new in our lives and in our church? We're just going to, and they're not, we're not going to, you know, belabor this. We're going to move through these four movements. We're going we're to take each of uh, uh, these moments to process our lives to, you know, individually and together before the Lord. Let me say this before we get into movement one here. Um, Passover is a festival for marking redemption, uh, it, for remembering provision, and as difficult as the last uh, you know, 18 months, you know, two years have been, the fact that we're here, and this is not said lightly, is, is evidence of provision. It is evidence of protection. It is evidence of kindness. And so Passover is a moment to, to mark redemption, to remember provision, and then to recommit our lives. Where have we been? Where are we going? How will we get there? So movement one, Passat passing over the costly covenant mercy of God, the blood of the Lamb. One of the most phenomenal aspects of the story of the Scriptures is that the healing of the world and the bringing of redemption and the blessing of all people is staggeringly costly. Staggeringly costly. But God keeps insisting that the fullest extent of the cost is going to fall on Him, which is Peshach. It is the passing over. It is the picture of the blood of the land. There's so many questions that the Exodus story brings up for us. Like, we rush through it because it's how, you know, you just take a story that you're told at face value, for, for, especially in the beginning, and, and it's hard to put yourself in the middle of the story, but a little bit tonight I want to ask you, and a lot more on Sunday, I'm going to ask you to put yourself in the middle of this story. If you're all-powerful Yahweh, king of the universe, and you want to dramatically and miraculously rescue your people out of slavery in Egypt, how many plagues do you think you would need to do it? 
How about the, the, the plague of magic carpets that only the Israelites can ride? How about you, you just, you know, like superhero freeze all the Egyptians and then let the Israelites run out and skip all the mess? What on earth is up with the 10 plagues? And they're very messy and they're very strange. What on earth is God doing? There seems to be some divine restraint in insisting that actually Pharaoh be the one to say it's okay to go. And until Pharaoh says that, God won't let them go. What's going on with that? And then also, why does this God, who seems at this point to let people basically call him anything they want, get really picky about his name? What's going on? All of a sudden, God insists to Moses that he's going to be called a certain thing, and then he insists to Pharaoh that he's going to be called a certain things, where before you could call him El Shaddai, you could call him Adonai, you could call him the Lord my banner, you could call him the God who hears. God's not particular about his name at all until all of a sudden, as a part of this redemptive narrative, God gets very specific about us knowing and naming God. There's a bunch of other bizarre details I'm not going to bore you with until Sunday, but um, the, the plague of the livestock, you know, when God kills all, all, I mean, bizarre on its own. You know what Pharaoh does when he hears that the livestock have died? He doesn't take stock of his own. He says, go and find out, basically, have the livestock of the Israelites died, and he finds out they haven't. So for Pharaoh, it's very weird. He's not even interested that this divine being is powerful. He's seen powerful divine beings, or at least he believes he has. What he's interested in is the precision, the ability to allocate resources exactly where they're needed. Do something that direct. And, and I, I, at first I, I thought about that reflection. I was like, wow, what's up with Pharaoh? And then I think about, that's exactly how I am with God so often. I don't care that you're powerful. Will you do this exact specific thing that I want? What layers do we see in the blood of the Lamb? In Genesis, the Revelation, we see this picture shown over and over again in increasing cycles. The angel of death passes over. It seems so intense. But God seems to say, you will release my firstborn or it will cost you your firstborn. He says that to this enslaving empire. And essentially he's saying to his people, you are my firstborn. I'm going to treat you like my children. I'm going to care for you in this way. And my covering, my covenant faithfulness, my mercy is going to be over you. This first movement of God passing over is about the application of the specific, tender, covenant love of God in a very dramatic, broken, and violent world. So I want to invite you right now to just bring your heart before this God and say, I have lots of questions. I don't understand everything. I don't know why you're doing it this way, perhaps, but I, I hide myself in your mercy. I hide myself again in the blood of the Lamb. We said the Exodus story, God rescues his people and then gives us this meal of covenant. The gospel, God rescues his people by the blood of the lamb and gives us this covenant meal. So we're going to just prepare our hearts for just a few minutes and then we're going to begin this, this weekend. And you're like, begin? You've already been talking quite some time. It's okay. Uh, we're going to begin with communion tonight. 
this first movement, we're going to celebrate the passing over by the blood of the Lamb. We're going to celebrate the merciful covenant faithfulness of God. So I want to invite you just to, to bring your hearts before the Lord. We're going to take a, a, a moment or two in song to prepare our hearts, and then I'm going to come back up and, and lead us through the scriptures and liturgy of receiving this meal. Wherever you are, I invite you just to bring your heart before the Lord. Remember his covenant mercy, his covering, his love. first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found these things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Jesus sends his disciples on this little faith treasure hunt, looking for this person carrying a jar of water. And they find this furnished upper room because in the heart of God, preparation was made in advance for this meal. And in the practical plane of reality, preparation was made for this meal. The new story of the blood of the lamb is taking place right in the middle of the first story. So we pick up in the meal And we're skipping a few verses where Judas is unfaithful, but that locates all of us in the story. Not that we would do something that seems exactly like what Judas did, but all of us can recognize that tendency in our heart to try to be our own God and take control. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. God's been telling this story from the beginning. God is telling this story again tonight. He is speaking it personally like a loving father to your heart. I sense it reverberating in my heart. Twelve years ago, I stood in this room and said, we're going to start a church that is going to be uh, seeking the presence of God. That's our, that's our vision. Our first vision sermon was about a prayer in Exodus where Moses says, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go up from here. I want to say 12 years later, after all we've just been through, the prayer of our church is, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not lead us up from here. If you want to know what our church is going to be about and you want to lead and and be a part of this community, this is what we're seeking together with all of our hearts humbly before God. Please be with us. And God's answer is, you know how far I'm willing to go to be with you in this little packet 
barely communicates it, but symbols do matter. So I want to invite you right now where you are as we lift our hearts up to God to receive this meal, to count on God's mercy. What is the vision of Trinity Grace Church going to be? Pesach. Counting on the covenant mercy of God. Counting on the blood of the Lamb. That is where we begin. His presence. His life broken and poured out for us. Our life broken and poured out for one another. Broken and poured out for our neighbors. Can we go so far by the power of the Spirit to say broken and poured out for our enemies? Probably not on our own, but with the power of the Spirit. Nothing is impossible. Where do we begin? Jesus. Just going to give you a moment of silence and then we'll pray for each element and receive the meal. The second movement of Passover, and again, this, if, you're, you, if you've participated in a Seder before, this isn't like the exact movements of the, of the first night of Passover, um, but this is elements that show up throughout, throughout the, the, the week-long celebration, and, and other names for uh, Passover is this festival of unleavened bread. And so God would direct his people to become very intentional about the specific everyday rhythms of their life, the most common foods that they would eat, and they had to pay attention to how those foods were prepared because God has known from the very beginning, often it's not the big, nasty, ugly, obvious sins that are going to trip us up, but it's those small, casual compromises on the daily that are the, the place where our hearts are truly contended for. And I know in my own heart, right, in the beginning of COVID, it was so easy to say, this isn't regular life, so I'm going to binge these seven shows, okay? That's just how I'm going to get through. Or this is, we're going to spend money differently this way and all these different things that, that in the difficulty of, of this trying time that may have clung to our hearts. And I think this celebration out of season is an opportunity for God to search us and to say, God, would you give me discernment about uh, the bread I'm eating? What's nourishing my life? Would you give me discernment about the time that I'm spending, how I'm using it? Would you give me discernment about my energy levels? Would you give me discernment about, uh, about my wake-up time? Would you give me discernment about what, you know, what, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm watching? And One of my favorite teachers on the Exodus says, God wasn't just getting his people out of Egypt, but he had to get Egypt out of his people. He had to get this empire mindset, this slavery mindset out of his people. And so uh, what are the things in the everyday rhythms of your life that you may have picked up during COVID that you know it's time to lay down? They may not be bad. <laughs> they may have been essential for helping you through. Uh, and, and, and this isn't a, about a movement about shame, and it's a movement to say, let's go through and sweep clean and look again at the rhythms of our life. Look again at these essentials. Um, uh, again, these things may, may not be intrinsically bad. They just might not be essential to the story God is telling in your life now. And so I'm not going to try to name those specific things. What I want to ask is, Come, Holy Spirit, would you search our hearts? Would you point to those things that may be false crutches that we've been leaning on during this time? And you want to say, hey, it doesn't have to be necessarily even all in one moment, but I am going to gently remove these things from your life. I'm asking you to participate with me. There's a passage.
passage that many of us will be familiar with, and it talks about this great cloud of witnesses. I like it when we're looking at these different moments in the biblical narrative, and we're realizing this is all one story that we're a part of, and so those who were led out of slavery in Egypt are a part of the same uh, you know, story that we're, we're living in now, and we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, and it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You may have noticed this before, but there are things that hinder, and then there's sin. The unleavened bread moment. It's not to say the leaven in the bread is bad, per se. It's just to say this, we're not living the exact same story as the world. So maybe the question for us is, where have I just been living the exact same story as the world? And then to know... We serve a God of covenant mercy who would go to all the lengths to forgive us. So the moment we ask, we have help. But let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I think there's something about this purification of our hearts that gives us endurance, that helps us continue. These things can truly hinder. They can weigh us down. And so to release them to God is, is, I'm not gonna lie, it feels daunting to me, Uh, but it is so worth it. It is so worth it worth it. So everything that hinders, we come to this, this, this loving God knowing He is our rescuer. So what we're going to do is, uh, you may have noticed, we're just going to go back and forth. I'm going to talk a little bit, then we're going to sing a little bit and, and have some reflection. So we're, in this next sort of block of, of worship, I want to invite you to put your heart before God and ask this question, where have I just been living uh, in the story of the world? What are the things that hinder? Are there things you're inviting me to surrender to you? Is there something you're inviting me to let go? And here's what I want you to do with, with that, and you don't have to do it right now. We're going to discern now, and then before you know, the next, this weekend is over, I want you to share that with at least one person so that you're doing this in a communal way. And you're not just trying to work on yourself, but you're asking God to remove the things that hinder, to help you live in the story of the kingdom, not the story of the world. And then in any way that God gives you, you know, that, that faith to commit, let's discern and commit these things to God. So when you want to stand, sit, lay down on the floor, walk around the room, we're going to worship right now. This is a time for you to meet with God, to discern, to say, God, search my heart, try my thoughts, see if there's an anxious way in me, lead me in your way everlasting. I know the way of the world. I'm so familiar with it. Help me, to my heart, to be unburdened and free in your presence. This is no shame. This is running lovingly to your heavenly Father in worship. Let's discern and let's sing out praise. Use whatever posture you want. This is a free time. Amen. Church, just struck me in my heart as I was, we were worshiping and God was, even again, identifying things in my own heart that uh, the Passover festival, the whole celebration is a community-wide thing. 
And it's not lost on me that we're singing in, you know, sort of socially distanced mask zone right now. And so there's a part of this that we're not getting. <laughs> and that's okay. We're going to have to be patient. And, and one of the most painful aspects of our church right now is a bunch of us don't know each other well. And there's tons of reasons for that. Some are good, some are bad, some are understandable, some are probably our fault. But tomorrow we're going to go hang out on Governor's Island. Um, and it might rain, honestly, uh, you know. So, you know, do what you need to do. But I just want to say that this fall, part of our vision is to get to know one another and to learn each other's names again. And not just like what you're called, but like your name and how it represents your identity and your story and the whole thing that's woven together. And, and I want to tell you, passing out of a city like these people in this story do and passing through the waters, there's something binding about those types of experiences. And we need to have some of those types of experiences together so we know one another. So when I say we're not alone, it doesn't just feel like pastor speak or, or just a, a church sentiment, but you are living and feeling that reality. And that's going to mean, it's going to mean uh, some of us moving outside of our comfort zones and having the awkward conversation and probably asking for the name one or two more times, you know, to make sure that we've got it. But uh, I just want to say that uh, we're, we're moving through this and it's so easy for it to become an intellectual exercise or just a personal heart journey. And the Passover is not that. The, the, the event itself and the commemorating ce ce uh, celebration, uh, communion is not that either. It's not just you and Jesus as important as you and Jesus are. It's all of us in Jesus. And that's an important move that we're going to be making this fall is to get to know one another again, to come out of our homes. And that's going to be, you know, all the requisite uh, things we're going to need from God to make that happen and for that to happen safely. So um, let's have patience in that journey with one another. Let's have grace in that journey with one another. But also let's have courage and, and, and let's move outside of our comfort zones uh, with one another. I, I need that. Uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's so easy for me to tuck away, uh, even at a service, and be like, I got to do my thing, and then let me get out, you know, because I, I don't know what conversations, you know, like, are going to feel like exactly, and, and I want to I wanna move to that communal space with you. We need to move together. I want you to imagine movement three is... Uh, this is a festival of freedom. It is a, a, a commemoration of liberation. And so I want you to imagine if you just came through in such a dramatic story and we're not sure what to do about the violence and what does it say about the world and what does it say about God, but imagine you're standing on the other side of the sea that you just passed through and everyone who is violently pursuing you, your very captors are just covered up by the water. Your enemy is gone time of liberation. How many of the people standing on that side of the shore think it's because I prepared my bread right all these days? Right? The second movement was the festival of unleavened bread, and it is that. And there are certain things in our life that we can make commitments and resolve and discipline ourselves to do, but the kingdom of God is not just showing up as the, as the example of all of your discipline choices or my discipline choices. We can't, uh, you know, like make it happen on our own. There are certain things, the leaven in our bread, maybe we can take care of, but the Egyptians, we have to have God liberate us 
from empire. Liberate us from this other story. And so the other side of what are the small things that have clinged on and hindered and kept you and and you need to think about your food and your time and your energy and your sleep and your work and your friendships and your relationships and what is God asking you to surrender and then God, what do we need you absolutely to do that we can't do on our own? It's a festival of unleavened bread and it's a festival of liberation where God is the rescuer and God demonstrates God's power by setting us free. So here's the the third movement is that we celebrate God has set us free. Now where do we need freedom? The kingdom is coming. Where do our neighbors need to see it? The kingdom is coming. How do we pray for these other nations? How do we pray against COVID? Where where are the things that we know are too big for us and we need God to bring liberation? On the other side of the sea in Exodus, God's people finally knew they were free and there was no way they could have thought it was by their own efforts. And so Miriam played her tambourine and danced her heart out and sang a new song. And that is one of the movements of Passover to play your tambourine and to dance and to sing a new song, to celebrate the freedom God has given. I see a tambourine back there. Come on. We don't know everything that's going to happen in September. We don't know everything that's going to happen in October. We certainly don't know what's going to happen all this next year. But we are a liberated people because of the Passover, because of the shed blood of Jesus, because he has cried out, it is enough on the cross, because he's walked out of the grave, because he's given us his very life by his spirit. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. What do you do then? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The festival of unleavened bread, and, and these are wide swaths. You know, we're, 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 we're hitting big chunks, but some things we can set aside, the leaven in our bread. Some things we need God to liberate us from. We need to go to the God and intercede for breakthrough that's too big for us. It's actually too big for our church. We need every other church in this city. We need every other church around the world. We've got to join our faith with a movement that is bigger and more diverse than just us. This is not a story about what's Trinity Grace going to look like in six months. This is a story about what is the kingdom of God look like coming in the world and liberating people by his incredible saving love that, let me tell you, unites us to God and the absolute best is yet to come because even death itself is not the end of our story. Liberation, church. So this third movement is just that. I mean, not every, we don't, I wish we had tambourines to pass out to everybody, but we're just going to celebrate the freedom we have in Jesus. And I want you to think about the thing that you are longing for God to break through and to bring freedom and to bring change in, to bring his kingdom on earth as is in heaven. Maybe it's something in your life. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in our city. Maybe it's in our world. I want you to think about God bringing such substantial change that the waters sweep over that. And a whole new reality breaks in. I feel like we're, as a church, we've been good at the reflection. Mm. Let me think about it. We got to get a little better at celebrating. (laughs) 
We got to get a little bit better at dancing with our tambourines, about letting loose in praise to God. So we're going to worship for just a few minutes, and I'm not saying you got to, but whatever free means for you, maybe you put one hand up and that's as far as you're going, maybe you're spinning around. What, I want you to reflect on the liberation God has brought to us, and whatever way you can, let's celebrate that in worship right now. Let's make this movement of Passover. It is a festival of covenant mercy. It is a festival of setting aside the leaven in our bread, but it is also the festival of a God who sets us free from powers beyond ourselves. Let's stand up and lift our hearts to the rafters, church. Let's dance around, play your tambourines imaginarily. our portion our strength and shield and deliverer I couldn't see I'm assuming you all dancing and playing tambourines behind me but uh, amen we have celebrated time of liberation you can sit down for one moment as we enter this very last movement of the evening and it has to do as I said we're we're celebrating this uh, out of season it's a festival of spring it's a festival of new life Shag Aviv. Yeah, I said it. Um, what needs to bloom new in your life? The rabbis would say that kingdom was coming when the finger of God had moved, when the people learned to call God by name, and they learned to follow the way of God together. Those were the three movements of the kingdom coming. The finger of God moved. You could trace this in the Exodus story and in, this, and in Jesus who comes out of Egypt and passes through the water uh, and, and becomes the liberator. All, the stories are also layered and, 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 and teach us his name. Before the burning bush, God doesn't seem that concerned about his name, and then he's very specific about his name, and then it seems to go again a long time without God being very concerned about his name. And then when this baby is born in the Gospels, God's very concerned about what this baby is called. His name shall be Jesus. He saves his people. So he said that, God had to get his people out of slavery, out of, out of empire, out of Egypt, but then he had to get slavery and empire and Egypt out of his people's hearts. And so it's a festival of spring. It's a festival of new birth. It's, it's a festival, as with everything we've already said, of covenant mercy and, 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 and unleavened bread and liberation and then of new things. And this is one of the things I was most grateful for as God showed me these layers and is that there are new things to be born in our church. And to say that in this room where we started 12 years ago is a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a powerful thing. May the finger of God move and may we learn to call him by name and may we learn to follow his ways together. It's a little graphic and I hope you'll, you'll pardon me, but when they spread the blood on the doorposts, it's on all sides. And the people are passing through this bloody entryway into a new life. It's meant to symbolize new birth 
And they pass through the waters. And the rabbis say uh, a symbolism again of passing through into new birth. This is what Jesus and Nicodemus were talking about on that scandalous night when Jesus says you can't just be born of flesh and water. You have to be born of the Spirit. We have to be born anew. And let me tell you, our church has to be born anew. And maybe we wouldn't have chosen for that to be the case because things were clipping along fine. But we have to be born anew. It is time for a new season in our life. And so as we close tonight, what I want to ask you for is what do you have faith for? Because that's probably not all that might happen, but there's this magical thing that God lets us be a part of where he'll sometimes give us an inkling, a a, a hint, a a prophetic word about something that we're going to get to have a share in. It's certainly not all that God's doing in the world or God's probably doing in our church, but there's a way that we get to personally participate in the communal movement by saying, God, what are you giving me faith to see born new in my life? And so each of these works, remembering the covenant mercy of God that were covered by the blood of the Lamb, and then, Lord, what things are clinging to my heart that I need to set aside, and where do I need to see you bring liberation in my life? Where do I need to celebrate the liberation you've already brought, and what are you birthing new? What are you birthing new? So I want to ask you over this weekend, this isn't about just our church leadership sharing vision with you of where we're going. Some of those things are not going to be very new. They're going to be the, 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 the same story that's being, being told from the beginning. But what do you have vision for? What do you have faith for? Where do you see buds of new life? Is there a prophetic word God has been whispering into your heart? I want to tell you, because of the priesthood of all believers, every one of you men and women have the opportunity to shape the direction of this church as much as any person. Do you believe that? Probably not, but it's true. What are the promises of God that you need to live into in this season? And I just want to give you some categories to think about that in. In, in your prayer life, in communion with God, what needs to be new in your communion with God this season, this fall, from now till Christmas, till Advent? What needs to be new about your prayer life for communion with God? What about your, 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 your heart, your mind, your body? What about your friendships, your family? Had some of the most difficult conversations of my whole life with my family this summer. I'm I'm struggling to know how to circle back. What are the places that that we need to be a part of God bringing something new? In your work, so many of our work has been shaken up. And that can be something that we just need to get back to what it was. But in some cases, it's like we need to pray and discern the new thing that God is doing. And it may feel surprising to us. Where is God giving you creativity What about service and love? We can see need all around us. It's one of the beautiful parts about New York is that the rawness of our human experience is happening all around us in our immediate, you know, vantage. Where can we we begin new projects of service and love? I'm not saying this to burden you with let's start a bunch of new things. What's new might be that you let go of five or six things. 
where we're doing justice and joining in with justice being done, where we're learning maybe for the first time in our lives to actually Sabbath, to actually rest. One of the things God keeps insisting on is that Israel was blessed to be a blessing. And it said so much in church that it can begin to feel like a cliche. But the covenant in the beginning was, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. I'm going to show what the covenant merciful love of God, what Yahweh is really like through your lives. That is why we're set free. That's why we're rescued. That's why Passover happens, so that they can be a blessing to the world. And when they fail at that vocation, God sends them prophets and warnings and the whole rest of the story, right? And ultimately fulfills in Messiah his own covenant. But we are blessed, we are saved, we are rescued to be a blessing, to offer freedom, to offer life. So where are the places we're believing for something new? That's what I want us to end on. And I asked you earlier to... to, to to this weekend to jot something down that you feel like God is inviting you to resurrender or to recommit to him. I want to ask you in that same place to write down something, one, two, three, four, however many things that you have faith for that God is beginning new in the world in this season, that you're longing, maybe something that seems impossible, but you're writing it down in faith that God would begin to do. And I want to ask you to share that also with someone before this weekend is over. I hope you've had a chance to really unburden your heart tonight. I hope you've had a chance to worship. We're going to close in just a moment with a little more worship, and, 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 and then I'll come up and pray for us. But this last movement is about new life. And the, 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 the new life is, is, is there in the seed, and it's there in the ground when the seed is dying, but the, it, it's there as, as the rain is is. is, is, is giving nutrients to the soil. It's, it's, it's there, but we don't always see it until the moment that it peaks above ground. And so I'm going to ask that God would give us faith for those things that are new in our life. And that's it. That doesn't feel a little anticlimactic to me, but I want to ask you in this, in this next little chunk of worship as we close to Ask God to call things specifically to your mind. The priesthood of believers, the potential in this room is substantial. Let's worship. And I hope that you were refreshed tonight. I hope God specifically has spoken to you. I'm going to close this in prayer. And truly, uh, it's so good to see you, and, and thank you for coming. Heavenly Father, would you bless your church as she goes out into this evening? Would you fill us with your with your covenant uh, Passover, uh, uh, resurrecting graves in the garden, love, Lord, would you, would you birth new things in this church? Would you take this collection of people, and, and we're needy on our own. We, we need you in every way, God, and yet uh, you, you can move through us in, in a powerful way, and, and we celebrate that. We are, we are lifted up and even dignified by, by, by that, by your love, God. So we we celebrate you. I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these 12 years, God, and as wild a ride as it's been, God, you've been with us every, every uh, turn, every moment. We, we bless your name. Continue to carry us through. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace, church.